Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Would you please take up your Bibles? They're either on the windowsills beside you or in front of you. And turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Sorry, chapter 13, verse 7. Hebrews chapter 13. It's on page 1009. Or if you've got a blue larger print, it's 1197. Hebrews chapter 13. Seven to the end. Let's listen to God's wonderful words to us. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, and not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we have the city that is to come. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. Amen. Would you please take up your Bibles again and turn back to Hebrews chapter 13. So we've come to the last bit of Hebrews. It's been quite a journey, hasn't it? We started last year, and it's been one of those books that, that has taken us deep, 
deep into the wonders of what God has done for us in Christ. Isn't it? Jesus Christ, our risen, ascended high priest, the, the one that uh, the writer of the Hebrews said we must pay such close attention to. And it comes to its finish, uh, and as it does so, it's showing us how to live lives of worship. If you just have a look back to 12 verse 28, it says, Let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence in all. It's showing us how to, to live given all that Christ has done for us. If Christ is in heaven, how does that change me today, tomorrow, and the day after? And a couple of weeks ago, if you remember, David preached um, on uh, what that worship looks like from 13 verses 1 to 6. Uh, we saw that, that drawing near to God, well, it looks like drawing near to our family, to one another. Worship is visible. And it's that wonderful move towards others, isn't it? That is a love of God is seen in, in love of others. And our passage today is heading in the same direction. Now, the central bit of it, 9 to 17, well, it culminates in verse 15. If you have a look through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. It's very similar, isn't it? It's the same focus of worship. Worship by drawing near to God in, in praise and acknowledging his name, and then worship in drawing near to one another um, in good deeds, sharing what we have, the, the good life, a meaningful life. But notice the, what language the writer uses here. It's language of sacrifice. Sacrifice. Now that can't meet atoning sacrifice, can it? Because of all the uh, many chapters before. Because uh, that kind of sacrifice deals with our sin and we know Jesus has dealt with that fully. Once for all time. But instead, it, it shows by using this language that our life of worship is an, it's an outpouring towards God, isn't it? There is a handing over to him of something that is there's ours. There's a sacrifice. It's sacrificial. And we know that, don't we? We're thinking about those instructions from uh, 3 verses 1 to 6. If you remember, it talks about showing hospitality to strangers, visiting those in prison, protecting marriage, being content. They're, they're hard things. We struggle to do them because they're sacrifices. It can feel like a constant fight, kind of fight against our own sin, fight against what the world models and teaches, a, a, a fight. And often we just so, feel so weak at it all. You know, we profess to follow Jesus, and yet our lives, they just don't always match our words. I know for me it can feel like sometimes I'm a boat sailing on the waves of life, but, but if I'm bits kind of keep breaking and leaks come in from, you know, water comes in from hidden leaks, and it, it's a battle just to stay afloat. And what's frustrating, I find, is that is our weakness is often clearer when we try and move towards people. When we try and live lives of worship, you know, I can... I can move towards others, you know, when I, when I move towards them, I see the way I lack contentment, say. I'm round at their house and I notice something else I quite fancy. Or, or I find myself struggling, I don't know, to invite certain people to lunch because I, I don't want to move towards them that much. We're weak. Or perhaps what we have in verse 15, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Perhaps you really struggle to, to just let people know you're a Christian. Yeah, we're fine with acknowledging his name to other Christians, but, but to my flatmate, to my colleague, actually my mouth is tightly shut. 
You know, we know our weakness. So how do we worship with strength? How do I get better at this? How do I live this kind of life that God wants for us? Well, isn't it just from strength inside me, say? You know, I've just got to be tougher. I've just got to get a grip. Perhaps that's what you whisper to yourself when you're struggling to live for God. You know, just, just get a grip. Just stop it and do better. Well, this is the, the question for us tonight. How do we have strong hearts for worship? Well, to finish his letter, the writer of the Hebrews, I'm calling him Mr. Hebrews perhaps, he has a very different answer to just do better. It's actually the complete opposite. Rather than looking inside of us, the answer is it's all outside of us. And it's there in very brief form in verse 9. It says, Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. It's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Grace. God has got for us. That's what he's got for us this evening. And we're going to see, first of all, we just need to see that he keeps us. We're going to come to the focus of grace in a moment. But he keeps us on the path of grace by, first of all, reminding us of the, the pointer of faithful leaders. That's actually where he starts off, the, the, the pointer of faithful leaders. And it's one of the surprises of this passage for me, I think, is, is that we, it starts and ends with leaders. I don't know if you notice that. Verse 7, we get, remember your leaders. And then verse 17, we get, obey your leaders. We're in this passage about worship, and God wants us to be thinking about our leaders. You know, as David said last time, we need to not just draw near to our family, but draw near to our leaders. Well, why? Well, it's because our leaders are pointers. They're kind of big arrows with flashing lights pointing away from themselves to where grace is to be found. Verse 7, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Right there, they spoke the word of God. That is, they spoke the gospel. They spoke the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. They pointed to him. It continues, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. That word for outcome there, rather than just talking about the fruit of their life, might be just talking about the end of their life. It's about considering those who've gone before us, who've lived and died. You know, considering how they were like those of faith in Hebrews 11, they, they lived and died by faith. Faith in what was unseen. We're to consider that. Look at that. See the way of their life and death and how it points by faith to Christ, to the heavenly promises, to the unseen. And we're to imitate them. If they lived and died, well, well, well imitate them. Now, not their personality, not their little quirks or methods, but instead their faith. I don't know, perhaps as you look over your life, there are, there are elders and leaders who are now with the Lord. They've had a deep impact on you. They talk the talk, but also walk the walk. I know some of you here this evening were, were blessed by the ministry of Mr. William Still, a minister at, at Gilcomston Church for many years, a man who preached the gospel in season and out of season. Well, remember him. Consider his life and death. Imitate his faith. His solid endurance is continuing right until his final breath. These faithful leaders of the past 
They're an example to us. By their life and death, they point us to Jesus. And just because they they live and die and a new leader comes doesn't mean we need to panic. Remember, they're a pointer, an arrow. Instead, verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He's the one that doesn't change. He's the same for us as he was for them. Yes, they may die, but the one they point to, he never changes. But not only are we to imitate our leaders of the past, we're to respect and pray for our present leaders. We get that at the end, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. God has given us leaders, not just to to look back on, but also to respect as pointers to Jesus in the present. And that requires, ready, obedience and submission. I know those are two words we don't hear much, we probably don't like either. It's actually strange saying them as one of your leaders. But it makes sense, doesn't it? If God has put people with authority over his people, and not to lord it over them, but to lovingly keep watch and care for them, pointing them to Christ through teaching and correcting, well then, then of course he requires obedience from his people. It would be ridiculous if he told his church to ignore his leaders, or if he told his leaders to ignore his people. No, there's a responsibility on both sides. Faithful keeping watch and faithful obedience. They go hand in hand. Now, the, the task of a leader is serious here, isn't it? They're to give an account to God himself for what they have done for the way they've either pointed people to Christ or led them away. That's a serious responsibility, as we'll see in a moment. But the thing is, for all of us, as as, uh, I read recently, as Nancy Guthrie, she she said, no one says, when I grow up, I want to be a servant. It's true, isn't it? No one says, when when I grow up, I'm going to obey and submit to leaders. No, we focus on what we want to do, what I I want to be. At school, we're encouraged, you know, chase your dreams. But, But here, God's way is there for us to serve to obey and submit. So perhaps just for something for you to think about is this, from verse 17, are you one who brings joy to your leaders or groaning? In other words, are you helping your leaders point you to Christ? Are you obedient and submitting yourself in love and encouragement? Or are you the one who causes groaning through grumbling and gossiping? Perhaps think back, how did you respond when a a leader did something differently to how you would have wanted it done? Or what did you do when you received a gentle rebuke or correction? Did you bring joy in that moment or groaning? Because obedience to faithful leaders will help us stay on the path of grace. Why? Because they're pointers. Pointers to Christ. But this is obedience to faithful leaders. Now, obviously, no leader is perfect, but we're not being asked to submit to vindictive, abusive, harsh, and cruel leaders, nor to those leaders who draw the focus back round to themselves, to their leadership, their gifts and talents, those who are always right but never wrong. In other words, those who don't point you to Christ. Instead, we're to submit to those who know they're going to give an account to God and are trying to live like it. And so, verse 18, pray for us. Please pray for your leaders. Okay? We have a huge responsibility before God to keep watch over you. 
And we desire, like the writer here, to, to act honorably in all things. But we know we need help. If we're to keep pointing you to Christ, we need your prayers as well as your respect. God has given the pointer of faithful leaders. But the, thing is, the big thing is that they're pointing beyond themselves. The answer is not in them. They don't strengthen our hearts. Leaders don't. Remember, our hearts are strengthened by grace. Grace. And it's the grace, secondly, rather than the pointer now, it's the grace of Jesus' weakness. That's the grace. It's the grace of Jesus' weakness. That's the focus of this passage his weakness. And it's grace that doesn't just save us, it strengthens us for the way. It's not just for the beginning of our lives, but every day we're on them. Verse 9. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace and not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Now here, as often in Hebrews, we've got two groups. We have those who are strengthened by grace and we have another group, those who are led away. Been led away by diverse and strange teachings. Now, who are this group led away? Well, they're those listening to this kind of teaching, it says. Now, strange and various, that's not necessarily weird and wacky, as we'd kind of use the word strange. It's, it's once again teaching that is rooted in the old covenant. And we see that in verse 10. It helps us kind of understand. Verse 10, it's, it's linked to those who serve in the tent. Now, that's a phrase referring to the priests serving in God's tabernacle with the animal sacrifices and the curtains and the altars that we've thought so much about. And these, so these food laws, these foods that people are eating, uh, are probably the religious uh, food laws like not eating pork or shellfish or that kind of thing. So it's, it's people who are stuck with the old when they should be with the new. You know, they're like those who've, who've kind of decided tech hasn't moved on and still they're still using cassette tapes when they could be streaming their music, you know. But God has moved on. He's moved on from the old tent, the food laws, to the, uh, to the new. As we've thought about founding Christ, that's where grace is found. And the question we need to ask is why? Well, why were people being led astray by this strange teaching, the teachings of Judaism? Well, I wonder if in, instead of finding strength in grace, they were finding strength in safety. Because later we're gonna, we'll, be, um, we'll see sticking with Jesus leads to scorn and reproach. So we assume, therefore, leaving Jesus means more safety. Going back to Judaism, well, perhaps... Uh, slipping back into a kind of Jewish way of doing things, it meant they would have just faced less rejection from their, their Jewish friends and relations. Many more Jews than Christians at that time, and slipping back in just meant they could, they could just put their head below the parapet for a bit. They weren't being shot at, sniped at, scorned or mocked. You know, perhaps you've seen something similar. I don't know, someone, someone not going to church anymore. So he doesn't need to face the, the, the trolling of the guys he plays footy with. He's with them instead at the Sunday Football League rather than with his church family. Or, or, or perhaps just the ridicule at work, the anger at home. It just feels safer to go back to the way it was. And also for those, those food laws for the Jews, well, it probably felt much easier to keep for a bit. You know, surface religion, just not eating pork or shellfish. I can do that. It's ceremonial, traditional. There's a safety about it. At least that's what it felt like. 
It felt like strength in safety. But ironically and surprisingly, it's actually the least safe place. Because this isn't about keeping up with music technology, is it? This is about having access to God himself. Now, we've already had many warnings in this book, and here's, here's the last, even though briefer. Because if you slide back to these strange teachings, then you're, you're led away, Mr. Hebrews says. You know, think of it being washed away by a storm, like a, like a house on a precarious hill. A flood, waters gush down the muddy slope. The wooden house creaks and sways, and then it topples, crashing down, and then disappears in a mass of foaming water, led away, washed away. And it's because if they go back to Judaism, if they go back to the old instead of sticking with the new, then they don't have access to God's grace anymore. Now to show this, the writer goes back into the old. Uh, and he talks about a, a, a detail about the Day of Atonement. He talks about the fact that with the sacrifice on the Day of Atonement in the Old Covenant, the animal would not be eaten by the priests. Now, most other sacrifices, they did eat. The sacrifice would happen, and then they would eat from it. But with this one, the body of the goat was taken outside of the camp or city and burned. So the priests, they had no part of it. They didn't eat of it. So what's he saying is this. If Jesus, verse 12, is the one who sanctifies... So in other words, if he's the true sacrifice, then he, Jesus, is outside of the city. And so he's not eaten by the old covenant priests. What he's saying is they're choosing no food inside when there's a feast with Jesus outside. They're choosing a fast inside when there's abundance outside. If you stick with the old covenant, then you don't eat of the Jesus sacrifice. It's gone. You're inside. Jesus is outside. Verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. In other words, they've rejected the real food. They've rejected the food of grace, so they don't get to eat it. That's why they're swept away. Now, this is the point. Picking strength in what seems safer in the world is actually picking the most dangerous place. We mustn't be fooled by people you know, not having a go at us anymore. Yes, I know, going back to the world, cancelling our ties to Jesus will be easier perhaps in the short term. But he's saying it has serious consequences. But there is another group. There are those who are strengthened by grace and where's the grace found? Well, it's Jesus, isn't it, obviously? With the one, verse 12, who suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Grace is found with him, verse 13. Therefore, let us go to him. Jesus, our wonderful Savior and sacrifice. But again here, things are flipped on their heads. Now before, what we thought was the safest place was actually the least safe place. Well, now the, the weakest place is actually the place of strength. This is the, the grace of Jesus' weakness. Because verse 13, Therefore let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Let us go outside the camp. Now that doesn't mean we should, we should all move outside of Aberdeen City. We should live in the countryside. How nice that would be. It, it's about going to the place of Jesus. 
It's to him. But that phrase, outside the camp, it's repeated a few times, and it, it shows us what kind of place this is. In the Old Testament, this was the place of uncleanness. This is where things that couldn't be inside the camp were left, where the people, I know with contagious skin diseases or the unclean remains of sacrifices that needed burning. And so it's the, the place of rejection. It's the place of being ostracized, left out, cast out from the center of society. It's that kind of place that, like the, the, the dilapidated bits of land that we have, covered in rubbish and dirt no one wants, perhaps where some homeless or, or deprived try and make a shelter. It's outside the camp. It's weak. If we go to Jesus, if we side with him, we're choosing weakness. And we know this clearly, don't we? We're, being a Christian in Scotland today, we're, we're putting ourselves on the smaller team by a long way, aren't we? Our society is much stronger. Our government is often against us. The voice of social media is, is not patient with dissenting opinions. You know, just seeing the response to Kate Forbes a few months ago showed us that. This, this isn't going to be easy. It's the place of reproach. Perhaps you've experienced that already. But in the midst of that weakness, it's actually the true place of strength. In the midst of our fragility, it's the place where we find security because it's the place of grace. It's with Jesus. It's with our crucified and risen Savior. And in Jesus, there is strength. There's strength for our hearts. Now, why? What is it about Jesus and his weakness? Well, it's because with Jesus, God's riches are found. It's there we find ourselves wrapped in his all-encompassing love, from start to finish. Just look, we have from the start real forgiveness. Verse 10, we have an altar. Now, that's not referring to an altar in heaven or an altar in a church. It's looking about to the place of sacrifice. Jesus' cross, that's the altar. And because we have the cross, we come to the place where there's real forgiveness. We really do, we really do have access to God himself the better altar really works. It's a power outside of us that achieves wonderful things for us. He's got us from the start, and he's got us all the way to the finish. Not only real forgiveness, but a real future. We've got a better city to come, verse 14, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. God's grace in the weakness of Christ, it's all-encompassing grace for us. It's forgiveness to the future. He's done it all. He has us in, our, in his hands. And so as we step into the place of weakness, as we go to Jesus outside the camp, so we rely more and more on the one of strength, the one who can get rid of sin and save us, strength outside of us. And so the ups and downs of life don't have the impact they might have done. Of course, they still hurt, but because strength doesn't depend on us, we're not flawed as we might have been by the scorn of a colleague or the rejection of an old friend or parent. It, in Christ's weakness, in the place of reproach, we can be strong in heart because it's all by grace, the grace of Christ's weakness. If we want to live lives of worship, if we want to be praising God and doing good to others, the strength is found as we rest in our Savior. We trust him to strengthen us and give us deeper roots. As Paul put it, you know, so we'll begin to shine more and more like stars. So we come to him. 
because strength comes from the grace of Jesus' weakness. And this, this has a glorious impact. It leads to something deeply special. Just thirdly and very briefly, it leads to the wonder of God's delight. It's the wonder of God's delight. Let me read verses 15 and 16 again. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So as, as leaders point us to Christ, and so as we come to Jesus and stick with him, even in the disgrace of it all, so our hearts are strengthened, our worship deepened, we begin to live more and more lives of sacrifice, of praise, uh, acknowledging God, whether before his people or to the watching world, sacrifices of love to others, doing good and sharing what we have, being generous people. And the wonder is, when we live with Jesus, what we do is actually pleasing to God. For such sacrifices are pleasing to him. Our little offerings, you know, words spoken that praise his name, a song sung from the heart, a gift given to someone in need, an afternoon just helping someone struggling. These seemingly small sacrifices, they are a wonderful delight to God. It brings, as it were, a smile to his face. Isn't that amazing? This is what God is up to in the world. Just have a look at the blessing again of verses 20 and 21. It's like a little summary of the book. Now may the, the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It's God at work, isn't it? And it's his strengthening, his equipping. It's all in Jesus, his death and life. But being equipped for what? That we may do that which is pleasing in his sight. This is what God's up to in us. He's strengthening our hearts so that we might do what delights him. What a privilege we have. Because we know the joy of bringing pleasure to someone we love. You know, as a child, we, we made our mum giggle by telling her a joke. Or, or when you cook a meal and your spouse just kind of tucks in with a smile. Or, or when you get to host some of your friends and they, they just have a great time at yours. To give joy to someone else, it's a wonderful privilege of closeness. It's a joy for us. To please God, what an even greater joy. You know, because we do it through Christ, we do it with him interceding for us, we do it covered by his righteousness, forgiven by his blood, it means little old wheat, you and me, we come close, we draw near to our heavenly father with our offerings. You know, we're like a, a child coming to their dad with, a, with their attempt to artwork, with strange blobs of color that are meant to be people and trees, and yet somehow it's received with joy because we did it. This is the gospel that our leaders are pointing to. As we go outside the camp to be with Jesus, so he brings us close to God. As we go to the place of weakness, so he brings strength to our hearts. Christ, Christ was sacrificed once for all so that we might bring our offerings before our forever pleased, loving Father. It's the wonder 
the wonder of God's delight. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we, we wonder at the gospel. We wonder at the fact that you sent your son. Your son to bring us to you, that he died, rose, so that we might draw near. Oh, Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can come close, that somehow even the offerings we bring, so small and weak, bring delight to you. We don't understand how, but we know it's all because of Jesus. So we pray, please strengthen us tonight. Strengthen us by your grace. May we rest in the Lord Jesus. To whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.